Hello, I'm Adam Pelshay, and you're listening to Off the Shelf, the Windsor Public Library's weekly broadcast discussing books, culture, and what's happening in the world of public libraries. On today's episode, we remember Jack Rabinovich, founder of the Giller Prize, discuss the legacy of James Baldwin, and talk about WPL's latest branch, the W.F. Chisholm Library. Since its inception in 1994, the Giller Prize has become one of Canada's most prestigious and lucrative literary awards. Highlighting emerging and established authors across the nation, this award not only extends recognition to its recipient, but also a generous prize of $1,400,000. The Giller Prize has been awarded to such notable Canadian authors as Alice Munro, Margaret Atwood, and Mordecai Richler. It's also helped bolster the careers of writers like Madeleine Thiem, Vincent Lamb, and Elizabeth Hay. The award was established 23 years ago by the Toronto businessman Jack Rabinovich. The prize was named in tribute to his wife, the literary journalist Doris Giller, who died a year before the first Giller Prize was awarded in 1994. On Sunday, August 6, Rabinovich passed away at the age of 87. Jack Rabinovich was born and raised in Montreal, but would move to Toronto to study at McGill University, where he received a BA in English. He began his career as a journalist, but would later establish himself as a businessman, having careers in food retail and real estate. However, Rabinovich would make his biggest impact in founding the Giller Prize. The idea for the award was hatched, according to Rabinovich himself, over drinks with the author Mordecai Richler. The pair discussed how, at the time, the only literary prize dedicated to Canadian works was the Governor General's Award. Recalling this fortuitous conversation, Rabinovich reflected, Most people just felt that it wasn't right to just let the government handle the situation. So private people, like myself and various other people, have started new prizes to highlight and admire new writers. The Giller Prize initially endowed a cash prize of $25,000, which was the largest purse for a literary award in the country. This grew to $100,000 when the awards partnered with Scotiabank in 2005. For his contributions in highlighting and promoting Canadian authors and their works, Rabinovich was named Maclean's Magazine Man of the Year in 1999. His signature line, which he recited at every Giller Gala, was, For the price of a dinner in this town, you can buy all the nominated books. So, eat at home and buy the books. Windsor Public Library would like to extend its condolences to the friends and family of Mr. Jack Rabinovich. The 2017 Giller Prize ceremony won't take place until November, but the jury for this year's prize has already been announced. The five-member jury will consist of Andre Alexis, the Trinidad Canadian author and 2015 recipient of the Giller Prize for his novel, Fifteen Dogs. The novelist, Anita Rao Badami. The Goldsmith Prize shortlisted author, Richard Beard. Former Giller Prize winner and Governor General's Award nominee, Lynn Cody. And the Pulitzer Prize winning author, Nathan Englander. The Giller Prize long list will be announced on September 18th. 
Remember, Giller Prize-winning books, including Us Conductors by Shawn Michaels, 419 by Will Ferguson, and The Sentimentalist by Johanna Skeebzerd, can be borrowed from the Windsor Public Library. August 2nd marked the birthday of one of the most important and influential American authors of the 20th century, the novelist, poet, essayist, and social critic James Baldwin. Born in New York City in 1924, Baldwin grew up in a dynamic and tumultuous time for black Americans. An active part of the civil rights movement, Baldwin worked alongside such luminaries as Martin Luther King Jr., Malcolm X, Medgar Evers, Richard Wright, Nina Simone, and Lorraine Hansberry. He spoke in public forums, on television, and even to Congress as civil rights legislation was being debated in America. He became so associated with the civil rights movement that Time magazine featured Baldwin on the cover of their May 17, 1963 issue. He remained politically active all of his life, and as a result was both scrutinized and monitored by the U.S. government. In 2015, it was revealed that the FBI kept a file on Baldwin which totaled 1,884 pages, its contents illuminating the racist and homophobic paranoia the government expressed over Baldwin. James Baldwin's novels, poems, and essays, aside from being powerful and affecting, also explored intersecting themes of identity which had not been explored before in American literature. The intersection of racial, sexual, political, and class identities revealed an empathetic portrait of Americans who were often maligned and unrepresented in art and media. Although revered for his earliest works, like Go Tell It on the Mountain and Notes of a Native Son, Baldwin remained a powerful and influential writer all of his life. He inspired such seminal writers as Maya Angelou, Toni Morrison, and Jean Genet. Even though Baldwin passed away 30 years ago, on December 1st, 1987, he has remained a heavily referenced, read, and revered writer. As the author Paul Oster stated this year in an interview for the New York Times, Baldwin is a remarkable writer on both fronts, fiction and nonfiction, and I would rank him among America's 20th century greats. Not just for his boldness and courage, not just for his enormous emotional range, from boiling anger to the most exquisite tenderness, but for the quality of the writing itself, the chiseled grace of his sentences. The past few years have witnessed a recent resurgence in the popularity of James Baldwin's writing. This is likely due, in part, to such movements as Black Lives Matter, casting a light on the prevalent discrimination and systematic violence black Americans are enduring. Given the recent events of Charlottesville, Virginia, and the U.S. president's refusal to condemn the rally of white supremacists, Baldwin's social criticism and scrutinizing of a culture that actively oppresses black citizens remains all too relevant. Not only are Baldwin and his writing prevalent in conversations surrounding civil rights and black discourse, there are new documents being released related to the author. In addition to reissued collections of Baldwin's complete poetry, essays, and novels, works that were left unfinished by the author are now seeing the light of day. In 2016, the director Raoul Peck 
took on an ambitious task, adapting an unfinished manuscript, Remember This House, into a documentary film. In addition to this critically acclaimed movie, the FBI files in Baldwin were recently published with notes and commentary from the editor William J. Maxwell. These documents shed a light on the adversity and scrutiny Baldwin faced during his lifetime, as racial discrimination, homophobia, and class repression continue in our world, writers like Baldwin will remain all too relevant and elucidating on the experience of the oppressed. One of my favorite quotes from Baldwin seems to encapsulate the climate of the world we see today. I imagine one of the reasons people cling to their hate so stubbornly is because they sense, once the hate is gone, they will be forced to deal with pain. The works of James Baldwin including Giovanni's Room, Go Tell It on the Mountain, and The Price of the Ticket, can be borrowed from the Windsor Public Library. In an official statement made by the American Library Association, ALA President Jim Neal has condemned the actions of white supremacist and neo-Nazi groups in Charlottesville, Virginia. The statement declares that the ALA stands in solidarity with anyone who protests hate and fights for equity, diversity, and inclusion. The statement also included that no matter the venue or the circumstance, we condemn any form of intimidation or discrimination based on culture, ethnicity, gender, nationality, race, religion, or sexual orientation. Our differences should be celebrated, and mutual respect and understanding should serve as the norms within our society. The full statement can be read on the association's official website, www.aola.org. In the aftermath of the clashes between nationalist demonstrators and counter-protesters, Charlottesville libraries have been challenged in how to serve a community ravaged by violence. In July, the Jefferson-Madison Regional Library announced that its central library would be closed during the time of the rally. The closure was in the interest of safety for library staff and visitors. A week prior to the rally, Staff were met one morning by signs on the front door of the facility, with white supremacist messages adorned on them. Library director John Halliday stayed in the building the Saturday of the rally in order to monitor the activity outside of the building. Halliday texted to his co-workers what was happening, noting that the heavily armed people did not resemble law enforcement or the National Guard. Later in the afternoon, the assembly had been declared unlawful, and the crowds were forced to vacate the premises and had mostly left the area. When the library opened again on Monday morning, its customary Libraries Are For Everyone sign was posted in front. The sign held a greater prominence than ever before. The Children's Department set up a Civil Strength Popsicle Stick Mural where patrons could write comments about what makes their community stronger. In the preceding week, the Jefferson-Madison Regional Library received many calls and emails supporting them for their efforts, and libraries across the country have organized gatherings in solidarity with the Charlottesville community. Public libraries are not alone in demonstrating solidarity with the community. Academic libraries and institutions have also demonstrated support. In a statement released early Saturday morning, UVA President Teresa Sullivan said, The university supports the First Amendment rights to free speech and peaceable assembly. Acts of violence, however, are not protected by the First Amendment. Violence and bigotry are not political positions. 
we strongly condemn intimidating and aberrant behavior intended to strike fear and sow division in our community. Even before the events of the rally, student members of the UVA Graduate Student Coalition for Liberation had mobilized to gather resources for a lib guide to educate users about Charlottesville's toxic history of white supremacy and bigotry. According to its website, the syllabus offered seeks to explore the local historical and contemporary precedents for this gathering, to give it history and context, to denounce it, and to amplify the voices of community members most affected by this alt-right occupation of our community space. These resources are key to contextualizing the alt-right and their racist motivations. Resources from this libguide can be accessed by following the hashtag Charlottesville Curriculum on Twitter. It's not just UVA taking a stance against the violent nationalism displayed in Charlottesville. Texas A&M University Administration canceled a White Lives Matter rally that had been scheduled for September 11th. The decision to cancel the rally came after it was discovered that the event's organizer, a former Texas A&M University student, had included in a press release for the event a slogan. The slogan was, Today Charlottesville, Tomorrow Texas A&M. As the aftermath of the Charlottesville rally continues to unravel, and will continue to unravel in the upcoming weeks, libraries will act as a resource for people to be educated, and as environments inclusive to our diverse community, providing equitable space and access to information for their communities. Libraries are institutions that stand opposed to racism, sexism, homophobia, and the type of nationalist ideology displayed in Charlottesville. The newest location of the Windsor Public Library system is set to open up in October. The WF Chisholm Branch will be located next to the Optimist Community Center at 1075 Ypres Avenue. Community members are eager for this location to open and have many questions of what this new location will offer. To answer some of these questions, I spoke with the Manager of Public Services at the Windsor Public Library, Mr. Adam Craig. So from what I understand, the community surrounding the Optimist Center is eagerly awaiting the opening of the WF Chisholm branch. Uh, When can we actually expect this new location to open? So right now we're at the point where all of the design and construction is complete. Uh, The floors are carpeted, the walls are painted, and so on. Uh, There's little bits and pieces that still need to be finished, but we're definitely in the home stretch as far as the work that needs to be done by our contractor. Beyond that, it's going to be the library's turn to put our finishing touches on the space. So that means things like installing our bookshelves, having public access computers set up and ready, and of course, uh, moving the collection of materials to the branch. We had a really cooperative construction season this year, so the weather was good enough that we could keep things moving. And one of the benefits of that kind of cooperative construction season is that now we've got a good amount of time to make sure that everything is right. Um, I think everybody knows that you can't account for everything in a project like this, and that we'll be making little changes right up until the day we open, but we have the benefit of time. So my goal is to have the best possible library ready to go on opening day. Um, with all that being said, and to kind of double back to your original question, we're aiming for a grand opening to the public near the end of October. Now, every single library branch offers something a little bit different to its community. I'm just wondering what type of services and collections will be available at the new Chisholm branch. 
So this is going to be what I would call a full-service 21st century library in every sense. Uh, we'll have a full collection of everything that you've come to expect from Windsor Public Library. You know, fiction, nonfiction, children's literature, DVDs, magazines, so on. Uh, we're building a collection of Playway products, and that's something that kind of straddles the line between a tablet and an ebook reader. Um, in addition, we've got a great customer service team who are preparing some really fantastic program offerings. So we can hit the ground running when the doors open with like one-off events, crafts, children's programs, guest speakers, and, and that sort of thing. Um, one of the real showpieces of this library is going to be the auto archives. So right now we're housing the archive in our main branch downtown, but we've allocated just under a third of our floor space at the new branch for giving these resources a permanent home. Um, for anyone who's unfamiliar, you can check our website, but this is really a, a one-of-a-kind collection, and it includes things like original sales brochures for classic cars, uh, repair manuals, and other automotive ephemera, I guess. It's something that we consider a real nod to our regional history here in Windsor and to Windsor's relationship to the auto industry. The new location is going to be named after the automotive executive William Chisholm, uh, who's probably best known for founding Rose City Ford Sales Limited. Can you speak a little bit about the automotive theme for this new location? Um, yeah, so that theme is really tied to what we were just talking about, which is our regional history in Windsor and the archives. So we knew early on that this branch was going to end up being the permanent home for the archives. And so once that decision was made, it was our CEO's vision to make the whole facility something that would honor Windsor's history through these little like recognizable touches. And that's not just with respect to the collection and the name of the library, but also through some of the programs we're developing and the actual design of the building itself. The new library facility is going to have an interesting look. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the design of the design of this new branch? Sure. Um, the design of the library was completed by local firm Architectura, uh, and the direction we gave them was, again, that we wanted something that was a reflection of Windsor. So suggesting things like, um, think of a classic garage from the 1950s contributed to what we have now in terms of a design. Uh, so like at the west end of the building, for example, we have a set of garage bay doors that open up onto a... Um, onto a concrete pad, with the idea being that we could pull a classic muscle car up and run programs around that, uh, or do demonstrations outside, or really any kind of programming purposes. Um, one of the coolest features that we have going for us at the new space is the work that was done by local designer Shane Potvin and his team at Tango. So they're sort of a full-service marketing and design firm based in Windsor. And what they've done for us, so along the north face of the building, we have a series of seven large windows, almost floor-to-ceiling windows. And we thought, you know, this is prime real estate facing Ypres, and so we really wanted to do something special there. Uh, we tossed around some ideas that would fit with the auto theme, and Shane and his crew came back with a set of designs that touch on every decade in Windsor's auto history, starting with the 1900s. So they, they designed these huge... Uh, multi-panel decal things that, that fasten to the windows. Uh, each window along the front of the building is meant to represent a decade by including the most visually iconic car things that we could think of. So, for example, we've got um, like a representation of a Model T Ford 
in the first panel. Uh, in the 1980s panel, we've got like an image of a minivan to represent the beginning of van assembly here in Windsor. Uh, there's a Ford V8 badge in the 1940s panel and so on. So for somebody like me who maybe doesn't qualify as a car guy in the strictest sense, it's really visually striking. Uh, the folks at Tango did a really great job with color choices and the design and doing their research. But for somebody who maybe knows the history of the area and maybe knows a little bit about cars, um, there's a lot of really fun little Easter egg kind of things that they can pick apart. It's the kind of thing where you'll likely notice something a little bit different every time you visit the libraries and pass the windows. And what sort of reaction has the community given to the news of this new library opening up? So we've had, uh, in terms of the community response so far, I mean, we're, we're not open yet, so there's limitations to that, but um, we are connected to a community center. And so I've had an opportunity to talk with some of the staff at the community center. And what they've said is that, you know, you have a lot of people who are kind of like, scoping the place out right they have people walking up to the windows and kind of looking inside um, a lot of people asking when we're going to be open what's go you know what's going on in there i believe the sign sort of our big windsor public library sign is going up on the front of the building uh, it may actually be already up so i think that'll dispel any questions that the community has about what the facility actually is but um you know and every time i'm out there for a site visit You'll, you'll see people kind of peering through the windows, uh, trying to figure out what's going on in there. So my experience has been that anytime a new library opens, there is a huge community uptake for the first six months to a year before things kind of settle into a normal course of business. I would expect that because of our location and because of how much positive coverage we've had in the news on this, that six-month period will probably extend Quite a bit further. I think we're. I think we're. Uh, we have a big, big opening in store for for this branch. You have been listening to Off the Shelf, Windsor Public Library's weekly broadcast discussing books culture, and what's happening in the world of public libraries. I would like to thank the Manager of Public Services, Adam Craig, for sitting down and talking with us today. For more information on the Windsor Public Library, please visit our website at www.windsorpubliclibrary.com. If you have any comments or questions about today's episode, please email those to offtheshelf at windsorpubliclibrary.com.